Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor, taking your calls and your questions. Uh, we are, our office has opened up this week, so we are... Uh, Back to a progressive normal here as the team is back on their regular schedule. But, you know, as we go through this whole COVID thing uh, and and the, the, the concern that we step out and being a blessing uh, to our community, and uh, we had never closed our church. And I think that using that language, how careful we need to be, uh, that we never closed our church, uh, with the exception of holidays— uh, we had pastors here on the property every single day uh, since this whole thing began. And there might have been a couple days in the beginning where we didn't know what we were doing or how to respond yet, but as things got clearer, uh, we, we, we remained open. So it's, uh, it's good to have, though, some, some progress uh, back to normalcy. We're, we're looking forward to seeing more regular services. Uh, we have a regular service tonight that you can attend in person. If you want to come to church tonight, come in person, but you have to register first, and that's where it starts. So go to our website, calvaryco.church, calvaryco.church, space is limited. Uh, We're in the book of Daniel, and we're almost done with Daniel, just finishing up chapter 12, and then we're on this little mini-series of the last days. And because Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, he's told that what he wrote should be sealed up till the last days, and then you'll understand it more. Well, we understand it more. We believe we're in the last days. And so we've been looking at the, what the Bible has to say in Timothy, and now we're heading over to Matthew 24, of what to look for in the last days. So come on out. You can come here tonight here at Calvary Church, 7 p.m., we will uh, be here live, all social distancing, all the measures, CDC, uh, almost everything that Colorado's requested uh, will happen. Uh, masks, yes, you will have to wear a mask. Uh, distancing, we rearrange the, the sanctuary. I, I think that they, they want 20-something feet between your worship and the first person in the row. And I think we're almost there. I think we're 25 feet um, from Ian the closest you can get to Ian. But I was thinking that because the drummer's always in one of those plastic cages, uh, we should put Ian in one of those plastic cages, and then we'll be all be protected from his singing. Um, so at any rate, uh, we do need to start out the show with a smile because we're going to enter into some challenging discussions on purpose. Uh, we purposely scheduled the show the way it is today because we want to talk about um, the surrounding civil, dif- the civil, uh, cultural, societal challenges that we're facing right now. Um, we want to talk about racism. We want to talk about injustice, uh, and we want to talk about from a biblical perspective 
what, uh, what's the context? What's a biblical framework and context for what's going on in the world today? However, I recognize my limitations um, because I'm not a black man. And so I have limitations in my perspective that I have much to learn. So I've invited a friend of mine, uh, Pastor John Moreland from the Denver Christian Bible Church in Denver. Um, and, and here are things I knew, but I'm going to read them to you. Uh, I knew some of them, but I'm going to read them to you. Uh, Pastor John is a former uh, police officer for the U.S. Air Force. He was also a police officer in New Mexico, Albuquerque, right? Correct. Uh, he came to Denver in 2007, uh, and he was a pastor of a church for many years there until he planted the Denver Christian Bible Church in 2012. And we are in the presence of the president of the Colorado Baptist uh, Association, and he's doing a great job with that. He's married to Kenna. They're raising four kids. Um, Kena is Kena. Five, Five kids. Okay, yeah. so I've got four. We're missing one. <laughs> so four kids. Kena, is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah. Jordan, Ashley, Kendall, and we're missing... Kevin. Kevin. Kevin is our youngest. Uh, he's adopted. And, uh, and so if you got that buy off our website... Uh, we may need to update it. So, so yep. Tanya, if you you're listening, <laughs> let's update the website. <laughs> so, John, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. Thanks Let, for having me. Let's go back to 2007 uh, when you came to Denver. Um, how soon after you came to Denver did you and I meet? What year did you and I connect? Um, I'm going to say it's pretty close, but I don't remember. Yeah, pretty close to the beginning. I got here December 1st, 06. I got called to pastor my first church in December of 07, and somewhere in 08, maybe 09, you and I connected. So um, at least 10, 11, 12 years. At least. And it's been a neat, growing friendship that we've had, um, ministry relationship, <clears throat> friendship, um, and it's been a blessing to have you in my life. And now, um, I don't know any other way than just to jump in. Uh, we, have, we, have great, um, we have great trouble in our culture right now. Yeah. And this particular, the particular um, difficulty that, that we see today started, I think, um, th w the context of what's happening with um, Ahmad Ar Arbery. Um, is that, would that, I think that, is my pronouncing that right, Kevin? And, and then we had George Floyd, and then it seems like all hell is broken loose in our culture. Um, how, let me ask. Let me start with this. How are you doing, as personally as a man, as a black man, right now, just personally, seeing and watching all of this unfold? Yeah. Um, I think I've run the gamut of emotions over the last, uh, you know, week or two. Uh, today, right now, and I was thinking about this when I was in downstairs washing my hands. Today, right now, is the first time I have felt somewhat encouraged since all this kind of began to happen. And so, uh, frankly, I've been angry. I've been confused. I've been theologically challenged. Uh, I have been um, sad. Uh, so probably a gamut of emotions. Today, I feel hopeful. I feel like the Lord has spoken to me through uh, his word and through his Holy Spirit. And so I feel like I have um, 
a healthier outlook today than I've had in the last two weeks, probably. I, I, the reason I wanted to start out with this question is because that's what I started out when I called you. Tomorrow I'm going to have my friend Bill Buffington. He and I go way back to California uh, when he started. I was just a volunteer at that church, and he had just started a position uh, as um, helping in the lunchroom at the school there. Yeah. And we had a mutual friend that saw our personalities, and she said, you got to meet Bill, you got to meet Bill. And so Bill and I go way, way back 20-plus years. And when I called him, um, I asked him the same thing, because if, if you're on social media, um, I, I'm certain you're not getting that question. Um, if you're watching the news, that question's not coming up. Uh, if depending on the circle of people in your life, for example, if you post, I'm not on Facebook anymore, so I don't know uh, what people are posting on Facebook. That's a different show for a different time because <laughs> I just can't handle it. Yeah. But I'm, I wonder how much, are you on Facebook? I am. How many people have reached out to you and asked you how you're doing? Several actually. And um, in, in comparison, what do you think the percentage would be? Oh, <clears throat> Yeah. So I could probably count them on one hand who yes. actually have, yes. you know, who have called me and said, how are you really doing? Right. Uh, and I've been grateful for those calls. Yes. I've uh, been grateful for those calls. But I have, I try to use social media as a platform to challenge, to educate. Sometimes I argue, you know, <laughs> then my wife, my <laughs> wife gets me back in line. Yes. Uh, but I try to use it in a responsible <laughs> way. Uh, what I really want to do now is provoke healthy, productive dialogue. Yes. So, yeah. So, so that, so in promoting healthy, uh, productive dialogue, what do you think is happening right now in the streets of Denver and the street? What, what do you see from, you know, maybe 1 p.m. till 10 p.m.? What, what do you see? What do you think is happening? So, spiritually, I think what's happening and I think what's necessary is. God is calling people, first and foremost, to look at him, to return to him, or if people don't have a relationship with him through Jesus, to come to him. I really do believe uh, that God is working in this circumstance. I think God alone has the answer. I think God alone uh, in Jesus is the answer. And before we begin to interpret this, one of the things uh, that uh, the Lord I feel like kind of gave to me today, this morning, in fact, in, in a conversation with my wife, it was a good reminder and has been very helpful throughout the day. We've got to first look at him and then we've got to interpret everything through God, through his word. And I do think that there are some uh, theological things to talk about, uh, but it was just so um, peace giving to me this morning to be reminded we've got to first look at God and everything else is interpreted through him. And God is clear that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So that's what I meant when I said, I think he's going to stretch us theologically in this season. He certainly is me. But that's where I would begin the conversation, is God's calling us to see him. So we, we spent this morning, uh, on Wednesdays are our staff meeting, and this is our first staff meeting back in the building uh, for the time being, we're done with Zoom calls. As good as those have been for staff <laughs> meeting, it's not the same as being in, a, in, a, in the same room, socially distanced, but in the same room. And we spent three and a half hours or so, maybe more like three hours, the last three or two and a half hours of our meeting, discussing this in the context of the different layers 
Um, and, and the very first corner of the whiteboard, I'm a big whiteboard guy, so the very first corner of the whiteboard, I wrote the word gospel because I wanted to remind, not that I think we have forgotten, but uh, one of those, um, one of those uh, leadership necessities of reminding everyone, like John Wooden did, having these star basketball players, he'd take a basketball and say, men, this is a basketball. Right. And, and I like from time to time in crisis uh, to say, okay, this is a church. Uh, we're not a political entity. Uh, we, we aren't the savior of the world. Uh, we can't solve the world's problems, but this is a church. So the goal has to be gospel-centered, <clears throat> like you just said. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, resonating with what you said, um, the, the, it, being God alone is the answer, our answers are going to come from God. So in order for them to come from God, we need to look to God. And, and what I've found uh, is that the gospel, um, or looking to Jesus, or Christianity can be co-opted by other things. Absolutely. Uh, they could be co-opted by a political view. Uh, it could be co-opted by a personal view. Uh, it can be, and so under there, I forget exactly how I wrote it, but I, I said, and, and I said, so let's go back a little bit just for the context. I'm sure you felt, uh, you might feel the same way being a pastor of a thriving church that um, I thought our biggest issue this week and last week would be the COVID. I thought we would, we've been gone from church for three months. Yeah. Uh, we have been uh, not meeting together. So, any kind of gathering of people, I'm like, are you guys okay? How's it going? But COVID was, it was actually a, a topic, but very little did we talk about COVID today. Yeah. Um, very little have, it's a still kind of underlying. It's sort of taken, because of news cycles, it's taken a, a backseat to what's being communicated. But the reality is, is that this, this issue of, racial tension, this issue of abuse and injustice, uh, it's immediately at the forefront, um, right at the forefront. And, and, and so what I've found is, is not only can the gospel be co-opted, and so that we can actually be passionate about something with the name Jesus in it, and actually not being the gospel at all. Absolutely. Not, not answering at, at all the reality of the situation. But I, I found these two things too, and maybe you've seen this as well, but this difficulty of uh, the inability to parse out the reality of what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, as an example, you've got, you have, pe- you have peaceful protesters that, that that's that's been seen there are people and why do people why do you think so i have an opinion before i share that why do you think there are peaceful protests right now in major cities around what what is your conclusion of why a peaceful protest would be taking place right now yeah i think people are responding to the circumstances that they faced or that we face as a country over the last week specifically with george floyd uh, i think was the catalyst for these peaceful protests uh, as we if we look at it narrowly. If we expand the view of that, I think there's a larger conversation, and I'm sure we'll get into that as this conversation progresses, but I think there's a larger conversation uh, that people are trying to have, ignite, provoke, whatever, about uh, justice, equality, so on and so forth. And I think there are gospel implications in those things. And like you said, we have to be careful that we don't co-opt it and confuse it 
And and again, I know that those things will come out as we talk, but that would be my response to that question. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that there there's a void like people we protest and, and if we step back for a second, this is where the parsing comes in. We all protest. Absolutely. So, so we may not be like like for example, um thinking about the First Amendment, um, when it comes to COVID and there's a lot of churches, hey, First Amendment, we can meet, <laughs> we can meet and and you know, a lot of guys are putting their foot down and Hey, we're you can't tell us not to meet. Yeah, uh, and and I respect that. I may not fully agree with the whole thing, but I respect it. Um, but in the same First Amendment, gives us the ability to have a peaceful protest and to assemble, mm-hmm. like for for the purposes of of protesting something that we don't like happening. Yeah, and and so it's interesting that it gets overlapped because we could miss this opportunity to reach people with the gospel if we get caught up in something that isn't the gospel. For example, uh, what I mean by that is we can miss the opportunity to reach people that are angry, frustrated, hurt, fearful, if we only allow something that maybe we don't agree with or we don't like or don't you understand. Um, like, like you can't walk into the waters right now without being criticized. It doesn't yeah. matter what you say. Yeah. Uh, you could be, You can be pro... Um, uh, like for example, um, blackout Tuesday was used yesterday. And, um, one of the understandings that I had of that was it was, it was coming alongside the grieving family of George Floyd. That was one of the ways to use that blackout Tuesday. And, and people can't just accept that and say, yeah, like there's a family grieving here. So let's just set aside everything for a moment and let's feel the pain of a family grieving, and I know he's on a na- it's on a national scale. Mm-hmm. I get that because there's grieving people in our church. But wouldn't it wouldn't it do well to respond to the culture and grieve with someone, right? Mourn with those who mourn, grieve, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, and then let God give that teach a new sensitivity to grieve and mourn with people that are much closer to you. But but at, you're not allowed to do that, or by some people, <laughs> you're not allowed to do that because it's been co opted by something else. Yeah, and. And so it's good that you're doing, uh, that you're doing well, that you're processing anger, you're processing confusion. I mean, you're through it now, but I have to, I have to say from my perspective, I've been angry. I've been overwhelmed. I, I can share the, uh, the challenge, a challenge enough. It's like, I, I, I I thought, man, after processing the human pain, after processing all the other pain that comes up, because there's a second group uh, that that follow the protesters and that we I guess we could call them rioters mm-hmm. and and I'll, I haven't had a chance to talk to them yet, but by their behavior it doesn't seem like they have the same message or they change their message um, they come out peacefully protesting and then they take opportunity to you know whatever you see on the news you're looting destroying defacing um, that doesn't seem to be helping the cause do you see the same thing with the rioters at night do you think that helps the cause I think it very well could. And let me tell you why I say that, <clears throat> because I know that probably shocks some people to hear me say that. And two weeks ago, I probably would have thought ex- like exactly what you just said. In fact, I think I when this first kind of happened, uh, I think I wrote on a Facebook post like, man, th- we could lose our voice for the real cause with this. But I've prayed about that. And I really think that there are some things to be learned here theologically. But let me go back to something you just said a second ago with respect to kind of the blackout moment and why can't we just grieve with the family? 
And one of the things I feel like the Holy Spirit has, has been ministering to me about is this principle of Jesus as Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. You know, Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 7 that the virgin shall be with child and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And it's this idea of God with us, right? And I, I was just thinking through this, uh, you know, in Hebrews 1 and 9, the Bible says that that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for a while. In other words, he came and became a human for a while, right? In Hebrews 1 and 14, it says he partook of flesh and blood. So we've, we've got this picture of Jesus, right? The second person of the Godhead, veiling his deity, abandoning heaven for a season, and coming to dwell among his people where they were, to meet them where they were. And so as I process this theologically, I think one of the things uh, that we have to do is begin to look at this and say, okay, in spite of all of our differences, uh, despite the fact that I disagree with some of these methodologies or even thoughts behind them, how do we meet each other where we are? How do we live out this gospel-centric principle of Emmanuel? So that's the first thing I'll say. Uh, With respect to the rioting, looting, man, again, just challenging myself theologically. And I think we all have a responsibility to do that as believers. And I know I do this. I try to do this. If I have a thought, I try to filter it through God's word and ask myself, can I find... um, a precept, a command, thou shalt, thou shalt not, you know. If I can't find a precept, can I find a principle? In other words, you know, the scripture doesn't speak to this directly, but maybe there are some peripheral principles that I can apply to a situation, right? And if I can't find a precept or a principle, can I find precedent? You know, can I see in scripture where this happened in someone's story? And so I've been looking at this, and I've been asking myself, With respect to these riots and looting and so on and so forth, could God be working in all this? And I think the answer is yes. And we call ourselves, or excuse me, as Christians, we say that God is sovereign, right? And so we can't abandon that principle now. When bad things happen in our life, we've been taught that, we teach that God is sovereign, he's using all things for good. And one of the things I think could very well be happening, or let me say that a different way, I'm beginning to ask the question, could God be using some of this rioting, looting to attack what I believe has been an idolatrous mindset in the minds and the conscience of us as Americans? And I look at this, right, and I I think about us as Americans, we are Uh, as arrogant as they come. And anybody that's traveled outside of of America, you know, you quickly come to this conclusion. Uh, And I've been thinking about, like, for example, some of these uh, Confederate monuments that have been torn down, right? I mean, they they have this ugly historical representation, and now in an instant, they're gone, right? They have a sinful foundation, they're gone. Even this idea of the flag and America as a country, it's, and I've said this long before this, it's almost become our idol. Mm -hmm. We even say it in phrases like God and country or in America, or excuse me, in the military, we say God, country, flag. 
And it's like, no, 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 no. Right. If we were parsing that sentence, we're putting them all on the same plane. It's like, no, God's up here. Right. And country flag, you, me, everything else is a distant second. Mm -hmm. But we have made these things our idols. And I think God could be using some of these actions to tear down those idols. And I could run through scripture and I'm happy to share uh, several of them. I don't uh, I don't know what the yeah, I'm happy to share several of them, but I was just kind of running through scripture. So we've got this picture of Israel headed to the promised land that God had given them. Right. And so in Deuteronomy one, God tells Israel, when you get to this land, he tells them, tear down all of the altars where the nations that you're going to dispossess have served their gods, tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars. And then he says, and burn their ashram with fire. Right. And then I look in Judges six, God commands Gideon. He says, tear down and smash the altars. And then in Exodus 12, we've got this idea of God's going to liberate Israel from Egypt and he sends the destroyer out into the land to kill the firstborn of everything, man and beast. Uh, We see God using the Babylonians and the Assyrians to discipline his people, to take them to exile, and eventually he brings them back to the land. We come to the New Testament and probably the, the most prevalent picture of violence and and murder and disrespect for a cause that we see is on that hill just outside of Jerusalem. That muddy, bloody, gory, murderous, violent scene. And so when we begin to ask this question theologically, does God, we know he can because all things work together for good, right? But does God use extreme, sometimes violent, aggressive tactics to exact his will. And I don't think we can deny that biblically. Now, I don't think everybody can just go out and do what they want to do and say, God told me to. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm talking a bigger picture of God working through evil because he's sovereign, working through the wicked hearts of men to bring about some of the changes that I think he's been longing for. And I think we could be witnessing some of that. I think there's a, there's a I, I use the phrase, there's a seismic shift happening here. There's a, quite a few things. I, I'm not, I don't have the ability to know the, what the future brings, but certainly things have, are changing pretty rapid fire, Great. layer upon layer. We have a, uh, we have a, a biblical theology of, of the end times that, that has this urgency um, that we watch the progressive end times prepare for a one world government, for the Antichrist. Um, I don't know. Do you guys, is that a, a theology you share? You know, pre, pre-trib, pre-mill? Oh, absolutely. So yeah. I, I don't, I'm still working out my eschatological <laughs> I, position. I for the last time we talked yeah, about this. Yeah, yeah, but, but it, yeah. But at any rate. But I'm with you. Yeah. Pre, whatever our view is, pray, pray, uh, a prelude to the coming of the Lord Amen. is a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. And it's all highlighted for us. Uh, Jesus himself in Matthew 24. And so as you're opening as you're opening up the Bible and you're beginning to see the things coming together, um, you know, I really thought that the COVID crisis would be our discussion. You know, I thought that would be another topic on the radio, uh, not necessarily with you, but with somebody that we'd be, wow, look where we are three months later. And three months have gone right into the into the background in relationship to this tension and difficulty that I believe 
Uh, and I agree with you, John, God is using in a sovereign way. It is very clear that God will use unbelievers uh, throughout the scriptures um, to accomplish his will, and on an even a greater scale, unbelieving leaders and such. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue the conversation after this two-minute break, and then we're going to open up the phone lines and invite you to call with a question. Uh, and I'll give you the ground rules uh, uh, on the other side of the break, but we're not going to argue. And we're not going to be critical, but we are open to difficult questions. Maybe we can't even answer them. Uh, Maybe we're not able to. Maybe you won't like the opinion or you won't like the answer. So we are open to those kind of questions, but we're not open to critical, argumentative questions. It's just not the the forum. Uh, So you hear the music. We'll be right back. Uh, This is Calvary Live, Pastor John Moreland, Pastor Ed Taylor. Stick around. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back to Calvary Live. I want to give a shout out to everyone in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, Maryland, uh, on Hope FM, everyone on Truth FM, of course, here on the Grace FM radio network. And I'm certain that we have a lot more people joining us online today for this special program. We have a couple days of special programs, uh, of course, because of the current events and the difficulties that we're facing and things that come to the surface and uh, racial inequality and injustice and and being able as believers of Jesus Christ to really talk about these things um, and and even to some degree learn how to, number one, disagree without destroying each other. But number two, I find, I think that's a key. By the way, I'm looking across the table at Pastor John Moreland, but for those of you just joining us, I want to reintroduce, we have a special guest in studio, Pastor John Moreland. He's the president of the Colorado Baptist. He pastors a local church here in Denver, Denver Christian Bible Church. He's a father to five, uh, a wife, he has a, he's not a wife, he's a husband to a wife. But how many years have you guys been married? Uh, 16 years this Seventeen years this month. Seventeen. If you're listening, years. baby, I'm sorry. It's seventeen. Seventeen. <laughs> seventeen are the best years of your life. Amen. Amen. Not your life, her life. Amen. No, no. Amen. But uh, John and I have been friends almost since he moved here to Colorado and just watched uh, his ministry flourish and what God's doing. So we're talking, we're having real conversation uh, about the issues at hand. Um, John is black. And it's one of the reasons why I invited him, um, because I have limitations in what I can share in order to give a... And I think that that's an important, I hope you guys listening in, understand no matter whether you're white or black or Hispanic, whatever Asian, whatever perspective you come from, there are limitations that we need to invite other people to the table so that we can hear their point of view. Um, like we don't, have, we don't have a corner on the market of our point of view, even biblically. I mean, can I think of how many... We could be on here again where all we all we do is argue about the fine points of things uh, that we're forever disagreeing on yeah. that every generation had. But right, right so so here's what we're doing. We're inviting calls, and the ground rules are simply this. No, no, don't argue, um, don't seek to argue if you have a real genuine question. Um, it's okay if you don't like the answer or 
it's okay that we don't agree, but we're not, we are not arguing. Um, we're not arguing. And so uh, we, we just won't do it. And, and I know that you guys can, um, I know that you guys can follow through with that. So you want to take a, a you want to take a controversial one straight up? Sure. All right, let's go right to line one. Uh, we're going to pick up with Joe, and I think it's not just controversial. It's a good question to ask. Joe, welcome to the program. Hey, hey, Ed. how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It says you're from Freddy Harbor, but I have a feeling that's Friday. No, that's Friday Harbor, sir. <laughs> Joe's a friend of mine. Your voice. Oh. Well, you're going to have to educate me. Where's Friday Harbor? <laughs> just outside of Seattle. There are islands oh, yeah. just okay. outside of Seattle. So okay. Pastor Joe, yeah. pastor's out there. Awesome. Welcome to the program, Joe. What do you want? What would you like to ask? <laughs> what do I want? <laughs> yeah, I have, a, <laughs> I have a question. So, you know, obviously we, we've got it. Here on the island, we've got a march coming up for Black Lives Matter, you know, and wanting to... Uh, you know, support and really, I guess, get that message out, right? They're, they're really wanting justice and, and the black voices to be heard. And I get that. And I want to empathize as well. And so just with that line itself, Black Lives Matter, I'm all for that. And I definitely think that it's insensitive, you know, to say, well, all lives matter, right? Because we're, we're coming from two different contexts. So where is that line of wanting to show empathy? But at the same time, I don't agree with all all the, I guess you could say maybe they're what they stand for. When you when you look at the website and you kind of go through what they believe, there's a lot of things that I don't agree with, but I definitely agree with that line of "Black lives do matter," and and, and I want to empathize. I want to be a part of what our community is doing. But where do you think that line is of where we take maybe a stand or not stand, or we're we're letting walls fall down so we can really connect with not just our black brothers and sisters, right? But also just even our community who's also hurting as a result of this. Yeah. Good question. So one of the things I would ask, I'd be curious to know maybe one small thing, uh, if we have time and you care to share that you disagree with. But what I would say to that is I would treat this just like I would listening to a sermon in church, right? And so you don't agree with everything as you listen to a sermon, uh, nor do I. Um, but we can listen to the whole of the message and find, yeah, I may disagree on some of the finer points, but what's the, what's the whole of the message, right? And so as I think about the Black Lives Matter movement, yeah, we may disagree on some of the finer points of emphasis and so forth, but the whole of the message is we have a group of people in America that historically have been uh, ostracized, uh, have been treated unfairly by the American systems, right? Some of our core systems. I don't think those things are really up for debate anymore, right? Like most people would concede, yeah, black people get longer jail sentences, you know, black and brown people, um, you know, tend to live in food deserts, so on and so forth, right? We could go on and on with the systems. And so um, if you can hear the whole of the message, right, which is, Let's treat everyone fairly and equally. If you can exegete that out, then I think it's okay to disagree on some of the finer points of emphasis uh, without compromising that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I know that. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that, that definitely makes sense. Um, then, I mean, obviously, you guys, I guess maybe it's just it is what it is, right, as far as, like, 
the comments or the backlash. Or I think, like Ed, you said earlier, because of the Blackout Tuesday, people were, were trying to loop you in. Well, you also want to defund the police and all yeah. that kind of thing, which is one of the talking points on their website, right? That's correct. And so that, that's where I was, I'm trying to, I, I've always tried to do this, but I'm trying even more as I wade into this because of the position that God's placed me in as a pastor. I think I need to wade into it. I think I need to speak into it. Uh, I know my limitations, but, but I also know my strengths, and I know that, that I can give a point of view that's important to be heard. Um, I'm learning to parse this out. Like I can, I can both empathize with a segment of, uh, I mean, if, uh, like uh, on a much smaller scale, and I want to be very careful here, but uh, one of the emotions that came up with me is, in, is my own personal injustices, you know, things that have been done wrong to me or the wrongs uh, that, that I've experienced because of the sin of others, not just my own sin, uh, but the sin of others that I have to process. And I'm like, wow, you know, I know the feeling of an injustice. And let me be careful. I don't know the feeling of injustices that John has experienced. But but John and I, John's black, I'm white, but I can I promise you, I know the feeling that John has when he gets a nasty email telling him he's the worst pastor yeah. in the world. We can share that yeah. and that feeling. So I can share I have feelings of personal injustice um that that are relatable to the broader sense of injustice that that I'm like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna step into this. Because I know there's a broader, I may not be able to explain the broader scope of racism. I may not be able to, but I can learn, I can dialogue, and then with the comments that come up, we can apply the scriptures. And, and at the very least, uh, if people, those that are listening in, at the very least, today you didn't hear Pastor Ed's opinion, you heard Pastor John's opinion, and he lives this, he breathes this, and he breathes it from a couple different perspectives, pastor, former police officer, uh, a black man with probably you can share the history, you can share history that's more personal um, than we we would ever know. And and so I want to wade into these things, but but I don't, I I also don't want people to speak for me. Um, That's why I chose to post today, because I don't want people to speak for me. I want to teach people that I can both empathize and I can also value the, the law enforcement. Uh, my, and my value of law enforcement isn't for every police officer that was ever there. Uh, who, who would ever do that? Um, and also my empathy for a movement that feels disenfranchised doesn't mean I approve of all their behavior. But let's just like speak the facts. There's, there's obviously racial inequities today, and they have been for many, many years. And my heart grieves for the pain and sorrow and difficulty and you can't just watch the news and go, well, I can't agree with that. Yeah, but I don't know the hearts of every person that's, that's out yeah. there. I don't know what, the, I, I don't know. I just know there's a wrong. And the Bible speaks to the church being a light in very dark places. And, and so when it comes to, to grouping me in with the Black Lives Matters movement, so there's a bit, I, to me, I, I make a difference. Maybe, may, John, tell me if this is an accurate difference or one you'd accept. Okay. I, I would say Black Lives Matter but I don't necessarily need to put a hashtag in front of it and join a group. I can say that oh, independently. Sure. And, sure. and I yeah. think that, that that may be a piece of what you're looking at too, Joe, where do you really want to join the group or, or is there another way you can affirm your love 
um, your appreciation and your willingness to be a part of the solution for Black Lives Matter. And I, I do believe Black Lives Matter. And I do think if, yeah. if I respond back to well, all lives matter, I, I can say Black Lives Matter without excluding everyone else. Right. It's just a statement in time right. for a particular right. group that's getting attention for particular hurts. And and in fear of being controversial, I don't I don't think this sounds that way, but I just want to challenge this here, because look at the other perspective, Joe. What we've said in this country for 400 years, without the hashtag and silently, is white lives matter, right? I mean, we've made that statement as a society in our societal systems, um, and and when I say that, I cringe a little bit five years ago, three years ago. I probably wouldn't have said that in fear that I would offend the listener. And my intent isn't to offend you, but I think we're at such a crucial moment now that we've got to speak in plain terms and plain English. And, and we've got to look at these things critically, right, to say, yeah, has, has our country said that implicitly? Have we said that when we give... And again, this is proven in the criminal justice system. We give harsher penalties to um, black people who are convicted of the same crime than we do whites. We give, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, access is the word I'm looking for. When we look at access to things like health care, affordable housing, so on and so forth, we have sent the message very clearly as a country that uh, majority culture or white lives matter. We just haven't said it with a hashtag. Right. And so now I think Black Lives Matter is an attempt to balance that. Like everything, every other system, do they get every line and phrase right? I'm sure we don't. Um, but again, we got to look at the whole of the message. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That, that, that's good. That's, I, that's where I find myself like in wanting to empathize and wanting to learn. And I want to go to this silent, peaceful march. But I know I'm going to get backlash from people within our church who won't even... Well, well, maybe, maybe I don't want to broad it. I don't want to broad stroke that, but I have a good feeling I will get. What would be, comments. if I may ask, <laughs> uh, what would be their concern that you anticipate? Well, I think, I think, and maybe it's just because of the the the, the media narrative, right? Oh, now you're with the leftist organization. Now you're lining yourself with this, and now you want to defund police. Which, obviously, indeed, like, no, I love the police. I've got a really good friend with the Bible College with who's a California High Patrolman. I. I I am, and I don't believe that all policemen are bad, you know, so then to, to, to lump me in and say that now I believe this because I want to empathize. That's, that's what I'm kind of wrestling and working through. I, th- I think you just have to be who you are. And when those moments arise, take them, take those moments to educate people. But I want to encourage you to say one thing that has to happen in this moment is you got to take a stand, whatever it is, right? For whatever reason you do, but you've got to take a clear stand. I think the days of kind of hiding in the shadows, not being too controversial, not being, you know, ah, that may come off this way. That may someone may perceive that. Well, that's that's kind of their problem. Right. Let's take these as moments to educate. But God bless you, Joe. And thank you for your questions. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, Joe. 303-690-3000. Uh, let me, uh, so we were talking, let's go here first, and then I want to get to this question. So we got, what, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, 14 minutes. So we got about 14 minutes, and offline during the, the break, 
uh, I said, well, what do you think, John? What do you think about this? If we're going to take a theological approach, what do you think about this view that there's only one race? And because I know that those that are loyal to the scriptures, those that are loyal to a direct uh, literal interpretation of Genesis could come to that conclusion. We have one race, the human race. And, and your response uh, was good, and I think something that needed to be heard. You said it was immaterial. And could you, could you follow along and repeat that for our listeners sure. of what you were saying? Yep. I think when we hear that, um, one of the ways we have to challenge that thinking is yes. Let, let's, just assu- let's just assume, let's, let's say we have one race. I'm not sure I agree with that, but let's just say that we're going to go with that. The reality is, even if we have one race, over time, you and I now have different skin colors. I don't know what those skin colors were like in Genesis you know, 1 and 2, but today we do. Uh, and those, and as a, as a result of that, sin has manifested itself in, in that gap, if you will, of white to black to brown to red to yellow, whatever. So whether we're going to say, or whether it's true or not, that we have one race— the reality is we live in different skin colors and sin has manifested itself. And now we have to equip people to deal with it. And we got to deal with the issues from a biblical and theologically accurate perspective that have emerged as a result of those different races, if only to call people back to the reality that we have one race, if that's where we wind up, uh, you know, that the Bible is saying this. Uh, if that's the case, we still have to step into races we have it today in order to call people back to that biblical truth, if in fact it is. So the, you, you had mentioned the gap between us, and you've got a, a way to communicate that where you were saying, we need to learn to attack the divide. So talk about that attacking the divide yep. that you mentioned in building that separation, but at least for the very least of this, our skin color. But I would even say that not only has sin magnified that, but your experiences have been different than mine. Sure. Uh, in many ways, living in living in, in a different systemic way that culture approaches you and people. So, talk to me about, or let the listeners know what's your what's your thought on attacking the divide. Yep. So, attacking the divide is a term that I use uh, that I feel like God gave me some time ago, and I've mostly applied it to marriage. And so, if a husband and wife come into my office and you know they're arguing about, let's just say, money, one of the things I try to get them to see is you're not each other's enemy. But whatever the principle is about money that you're disagreeing over, that's the enemy. And so if God's biblical principle of marriage is oneness, then we have a responsibility to unite together as husband and wife. And let's attack the thing that's dividing us, which is our view on money. Right. So that may mean maybe we need to educate ourselves. Maybe we need to spend less. Maybe we need to save more. Maybe whatever the problem is, that's the divide. So I think the same principle could be applied here. Right. Um, most people are not evil. And, and I, I'm not ignoring the biblical principle that the heart of man is desperately wicked and you know evil. I get that, right? I'm not trying to ignore that. What I'm saying is I don't think most people wake up every day wishing for your demise because of your skin color. But we are all inherently ignorant. There's no such thing as common sense. You only know what you're taught. Uh, and so what we've got to do is we have to attack the thing that separates us. If you don't hate me and I don't hate you because of your skin color, then we have to conclude that there's just some probably some ignorance on both of our part. So how do we unite as the human race? How do we unite as brothers in Christ? And how do we attack the the uh, racism or racial issues or whatever you want to call it 
that separate us. So that's what I mean when I say attack the divide. Let's take this call, and then I want to ask you maybe your viewpoint of the first step to take. Sure. So let's go over to Niwot, Colorado. AJ's on the line. AJ, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You're How welcome. are you guys today? We're doing well. Good, good, good. Uh, my question relates specifically to those of us who are in the body of Christ, and I'm wondering why it's so difficult for Christians to understand the Word of God. When you look, for example, at Isaiah 117, he talks about learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and please the widow's cause. Uh, he talks about it in Micah also, about justice and loving and kindness and so on, and on and on and through the Bible. So how do we as Christians get so far away from his word that we are allowing ourselves to be so divided? Yeah. I think the answer to that is simple, because men love darkness rather than light, right? It's the same reason they ignore passages where Jesus says, you know, come to me and I'll give you eternal life. And we totally ignore it, because we like what we like, we love what we love. And the reality is, I don't think I'm unjust, right? It's, I was talking to a chaplain friend of mine last night. He was essentially asking the same why question. And I said, it's the same problem that we have when we share the gospel with people. It's inherently offensive because now I got to look at myself and say, I'm not really good. I'm bad. I don't really see I'm blind and I need something outside of me, bigger than me, greater than me to help me. Well, I don't like that, right? Because I got to self-evaluate. Well, the same is true when we talk about some of these world systems. You know, when we talk about racism, when we talk about, you know, all the things we're talking about now, now everyone has to look at themselves and introspectively and say, how have I, John, not in general, but John, how have I, John, contributed to the divide? And to answer your question, AJ, I don't like to do that because I don't want to think there's something wrong with me. I don't want to think I'm a racist. I don't want to think I've participated in racism. I don't want to think I'm whatever, on and on and on. And so I think that's part of the issue is it requires self-reflection. Yeah, I think that, I think that racism is, is generally something we think other people do, uh, no matter the skin color. Like that's something that other people do. And then that gets mixed I, uh, to AJ in a culture that, that glorifies victim. And it glorifies a, a victim mentality so that when you ask that question about the church, well, John mentioned it earlier. John mentioned that God, God's dealing with idolatry, uh, dealing with, uh, and, and I mentioned a little bit, I think, earlier that would come alongside what John was saying is that the gospel has been co-opted. Um, and, and I think in some ways we have to ask ourselves, are we living... Uh, are we seek, seeking to live a real gospel, the, the life transformative, um, deny yourself? I mean, if, if we just define the gospel, the outgrowth of the gospel just as that, uh, how well do we do step one, uh, let alone two, you know, narcissism entering in, we've co-opted. And I think in the United States, there's a sense, um, whether people want to admit it or not, I don't know, but there is a, uh, I guess you could say, an American gospel that is centered upon the American dream. And, and that's part of this whole problem um, because the American dream isn't open to everybody or, or it's more difficult for some people than others. Uh, and that, that's this whole conversation that's coming to the surface. And, and because it's, it's been um, another friend of mine, John, and, and I don't know, um, I'm sure it's probably one of the things you wrestle with, but one, one friend of mine just started talking about the deep angst of frustration. It's just so frustrating. 
It's so we. He he said something along the lines. I've lived like this forever, and I, it just doesn't change. Doesn't change. Doesn't change. And there's just a frustration. But for believers, I think that I shared this with our team this morning. When Jesus wrote to the church, nobody. When you go and you're the seven churches of Revelation, nobody wants to be the church of Sardis. Nobody wants to admit they're the church of Laodicea. Everybody is the church of Philadelphia. <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. But but to the church of Sardis, the dead church, Jesus said this. He says, I know your works. So it wasn't an inactive church. You have a name. wasn't an unpopular church. And people think you're alive. You know, you have a name that you're alive. So from all outward appearances, the church in Sardis at this point appears to be exactly what it's supposed to be. They, they have, they're active, and everybody thinks they're exactly what a church should be, whatever that definition is. And then you get the word from Jesus, but. And that's when you're like, okay, wait a minute. He, he, he just says, but you are dead. Hmm. And, and if we just, that's just verse one. And to think that Jesus would say to any of our churches, mm-hmm. very active, got a name, got mm-hmm. a sign, mm-hmm. got a radio ministry station, whatever, you know, whatever it is, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yep, 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 but you're dead. Yeah. And whether that that is an in, uh, in its entirety, and I don't think it is in entirety because of what he said next. What he said next is he said, be watchful, so open up your eyes, wake up. You Wake up, mm-hmm. number one. Number two, strengthen the things that remain. Yeah. So there were some s there was some essence if you want to our discussion AJ of the real gospel there there was something there so strengthen those things that remain uh, but they're ready to die so whatever form of the gospel that is is there is not going to last it's not the real like you have it's almost like I, I think back to the um, to the Pharisees they were teaching uh, as um, doctrines of God the the or commandments of God, the doctrines of men. And and I think one of the reasons justice uh, in the church doesn't attack injustice is because uh, they don't have a real form of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I also warned our church today, our staff at least, that as we talk about these things, just be ready to be accused of watering down the gospel and and somehow preaching a social gospel. And And I said, just be ready for that. Because we're talking about things people are uncomfortable with, they don't associate with the gospel. Mm-hmm. So therefore, they minimize it and say, well, that's not the gospel. The gospel is a saved man, uh, sins forgiven, and that's the gospel. But but actually, the life of Jesus permeated far more. He did come to save your soul, mm-hmm. but he also came to transform you and the world so that your soul would transform another. Mm-hmm. And and so be ready. That's like with Joe. You, know, you, you do something, just be ready for the backlash. Yeah. So thanks for calling, AJ. We're, we're almost out of time. Sorry, buddy. God bless you. Bye-bye. Well, we'll we got two minutes left, John. What would you say? I know it went by super fast. It did. It did. <laughs> what would you say in closing? I got a whole list here, but I'm yeah. going to leave. What's the last two minutes for you? I think it begins with each one of us looking at ourselves. Uh, I'll call us back to, l- let me say it a different way, which with each one of us looking at God first and then looking at ourselves. If my people, which are called by my name. Well, my people, we always want to interpret that as a general sense of everybody else. No, my people is you. My people is me. My people is each one of us individually that form the collective people. 
Uh, so I think it starts with us looking internally and asking, how have I contributed to these systems of the world that are unjust? And then secondly, I think it's what you said. I don't think we've taught the gospel wrongly. I think we've taught it incompletely. The gospel doesn't just have implications for eternity. It has implications here on earth. And one of the things I was saying to a, a friend of mine the other day, he challenged me the same way. You're watering down the gospel. You've become liberal, et cetera, et cetera. And I took him back to that scene in Matthew where Jesus stands to judge the world and he separates the sheep from the goat. And when, when he does, he doesn't say, did you pray the sinner's prayer? Did you go to church? Did you read your Bible? All those things we have to do. Don't, don't, get, don't misunderstand me. We have to do those things. They contribute to our growth. But I find it telling on that day, he says, did you feed me when I was hungry, clothe me when I was naked, visit me when I was imprisoned, et cetera, et cetera. That was his criteria of separation. And I think it would do us all well to look at, do we have a big enough view of the gospel? We'll have to do this again. I don't think we can just respond and then let it go and try Amen. to get back. We'll have to do it again. But for the interim, how can people contact you? How can they get a hold of you? How can they visit your church? How can they hear your messages? How can they connect with you? Sure. Uh, our website, denverbible.org, denverbible.org. I just joined Twitter, so I think I'm following you on Twitter now at John A. Moreland, uh, John A. Moreland. Or you can call our church, 303-223-6133, or send me an email, seniorpastor at denverbible.org. That's senior spelled out, seniorpastor at denverbible.org. So just to remember, denverbible.org has all the information to connect with Pastor John. I appreciate your friendship and your candor, and I know that even in the discussion, there's a lot for us to learn, a lot for us to grow in, and I think the key message is keep your eyes firmly fixed upon the Lord. He's a good shepherd. He'll lead us, and continue to pray for the peace of your city. God bless you guys. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Pastor Bill Buffington from Calvary Chapel in Inglewood, California will be on having a similar discussion, but I'm sure it'll go a lot of different, different ways. God bless you guys. See you tonight at 7. Register, and you can come in person. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.